In New Jersey, we found some key Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Perino. I'm Casey McLean. This week, we're going to be talking again about the coronavirus, and we'll, like always, take you to Murphy's Corner, where we'll talk about uh, some of the things that he's been doing and uh, what his executive orders are. Then I'm going to be covering the New Jersey uh, gym reopening saga, both part one and two. I believe I missed it last week. And we'll talk about churches are starting to reopen illegally in New Jersey. Where do we stand? What's going on? We'll let you know. New York City uh, won't be reopening beaches this summer. What does that mean for us in New Jersey? It's not going to be good. I, I, yeah, I think so. So a freeholder then calls a mayor a punk, slimy coward. Does he deserve shame? We'll let, we'll let you know. New Jersey's arbitrarily throwing out thousands of mail-in ballots, says someone uh, filing a lawsuit against the state of New Jersey. We'll talk about that. After the headlines, uh, I'm going to do a rundown of New Jersey unemployment and the state's response to it. And then Casey's going to talk to us about New Jersey teachers and COVID-19. So it's an exciting week. I think it is. Um, I mean, I usually say it is, but not my fault that our episodes just get better and better. So <laughs> let's start off with the coronavirus numbers in New Jersey. All right. So currently we have 153,000 confirmed cases with around 11,000 deaths. It's 10,985, but I think I can round up a little bit. On May 22nd, that was 1,247 new cases added uh, to the total, and it seems to be trending downwards and hovering around a thousand per day. So I guess that's overall good. Again, uh, I think it's it, it makes sense. We've been in a lockdown for a while. I think it's likely that we're past the. It's working. The, yeah, it's working. It's just a question of whether, as we mentioned last week, if we'll have a second wave or just like a prolonged first wave into a worse winter. Um, yeah. We don't know. Let's hope not. I'm going to be more optimistic this week. <laughs> You're changing your tune, Mike. <laughs> I am, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's go to Murphy's Corner. What, Murphy's uh, Corner. What has he been doing? Well, Murphy's done two executive orders since we last spoke and recorded. And this time he did do it. They did do a typo. Like, it's not me mispronouncing a word or not knowing the plural of a word. <laughs> So executive order 147 on the the list, it, he signed it on the 18th of this month. And it just says Governor Murphy signs executive order. And that's, what that's totally a placeholder text. Was that was that done on a Friday? It could have been. Um, this was on the uh, 18th and the 18th was, it was a, a it was a Monday. It was a, rough, a rough Monday. <laughs> it's a Corona Monday. But, yeah. You know, it, so what? What they really meant to say was Governor Murphy signs executive order allowing certain outdoor recreational businesses and community gardens to open with social distancing measures in place. So um, executive order 147, like I just said, they the recreational businesses included are archery ranges, batting cages, golf driving ranges, horseback riding, shooting ranges, and tennis clubs, as well as community gardens. And the order takes effect on the 22nd at 6 a.m. So that is yesterday. The 22nd was Thursday. This now is happening. So that's good. It makes sense, especially with the the golf driving ranges opening, because I think it was a week before that golf courses were allowed to be open, or maybe two weeks before. I should know, but it's corona times. My mind is, you know, melting into one. <laughs> Time doesn't matter anymore. But Governor Murphy says this action represents another gradual step on our road back to restart and recovery. Says he's made it clear that the data will inform our decisions and we feel comfortable that we can begin to resume certain outdoor businesses and activities with social distancing measures in place. So they are requiring um, that businesses reopen and limit capacity to 10 people at one time and implement reasonable restrictions that could include using electronic or telephone reservation and payment systems, prohibiting impermissible gatherings, installing physical barriers between employees and customers, limiting the use of equipment to one person, implementing social distancing measures in commonly used areas, including demarcation and signage, 
in infection control and hygiene practices, providing sanitation materials to employees, frequent sanitation of high-touch areas, and limiting occupancy of restrooms. So this is interesting because an issue that some people have had that I know of on the golf courses is that the bathrooms have been closed. So reopening some public restrooms is going to be interesting to see you know, how often they're going to sanitize and have different kind of sanitization material, not only for employees, but for people, you know what I mean? Like hand sanitizing stations, you know, scattered throughout and making sure that businesses could afford those things in order to protect their customers and themselves. So that is that executive order, that mysterious executive order and executive order 148 signed on the 22nd, which was yesterday. Governor Murphy signs executive order increasing capacity limit on outdoor gatherings. So this was a shocker for a lot of people in New Jersey because it increases the limit of outdoor gatherings from 10 to 25 people. However, a lot of us didn't know that we had a limit of 10 people <laughs> for outdoor gatherings. Yeah, don't remember the... Uh... The story we covered of the of the guy who accidentally had a band going on. I don't think there was ten people in that. Do yeah. you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the the police came and they were trying to arrest him because he was on a stoop playing guitar. And like uh, it was like five people or something watching it. It definitely wasn't ten. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I I really don't know how that happened or when the limit was ten. Maybe it was just because we've been covering this every week. I feel like we would know. So it was very strange. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm very under the radar, that piece. But Murphy said about this order specifically, he said, quote, our steady progress on the road back, alluding to his his plan, has been made possible through the hard work and personal responsibility of New Jerseyans to safeguard the public health. And he says that I'm proud that we can confidently take this step today and provide further optimism, there you go, Mike, for the unofficial start of summer. So in this order, he says that... um. As long as the following rules, which I will read to everyone, the gatherings of up to 25 or so um, can can go on. So the requirements are the gathering must take place entirely outdoors except for restroom use. So you limit the capacity to no more than 25 people at all times. So, you know, if you're having people arrive, you have to make sure that people leave to make sure you're not over 25 people. Fire attendees to be six feet apart at all times, excluding immediate family members, caretakers, household members, or romantic partners. So that's interesting because I think a lot of people on social media have had some outrage spark when they've seen gatherings because they're seeing people not social distancing. But I think it's hard to tell based off of photo if people are immediate family members or caretakers, or they might all be quarantining together. So that's something to keep in mind before you start being quick to judge people. The order also says you have to prohibit contact between attendees and um, no organized or contact sports. And the order also says if the event is an organized gathering, the organizer should demarcate six feet of spacing in the area of the gathering to demonstrate appropriate social distancing, limit the limit provided seating to single individuals spaced six feet apart and sanitized after each use, prohibit sharing of any physical items provided and require sanitation before and after each use and require contactless pay options wherever feasible. So this is interesting because it's kind of a deterrent to have any kind of gathering in the first place, because if I'm going to have people over outside and have to keep sanitizing, you know, lawn chairs or pool things, you know, outdoor activities because of the summer, seems like it's going to be more of a hassle than it is to just wait. You know what I mean? Um, But I'm a person who uh, is perfectly okay being a hermit um, and not having any (laughs) any person-to-person interaction. But I I feel like I'm one of the very few. (laughs) Yeah, socially, I'm I'm similar. It's like I I like seeing uh, my friends and family and stuff like that. But uh, especially in an emergency, it doesn't affect me too much to just like Skype call them. Like I'm exactly. I see you. We talk to you. You know, there's really no, uh, there's really nothing to talk about for the most part because you're not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, but that's it for Murphy's Corner. Oh, at least no, for I his have executive one more thing. orders. Okay. Yeah. 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 So 
Murphy, according to NJ.com, has okayed furloughs for New Jersey public employees to avert layoffs. So just to explain the difference in case people are unfamiliar with the language, a layoff is when you know, you're fired from your job. Furlough is when you're temporarily not given work and uh, you are still on their health benefits and can collect unemployment. So this is a pretty good way to do it. I mean, it's awful that it has uh, to happen because that's how uh, the, the state's not receiving any uh, federal more money to be able to pay these workers. So kind of in a bind, but it's better that it's a furlough than a layoff. So at least there's a chance that uh, people will, you know, um, be able to go back to work when, when their, the recovery starts to happen. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Oh, uh, yeah, also all... Sweeney's proposal. I should mention that. Yeah. So state Senate president, Stephen Sweeney proposed that instead of a voluntary furlough program, to do a job sharing plan, which according to NJ.com, Sweeney's proposal, A4132, got big support from the state legislature last week. Under the state, uh, sorry, under the state Senate's president's proposal, some non-essential state and local employees' work hours and wages would be reduced to 40%, essentially working two days out of five. These employees would be eligible for state unemployment benefits, as well as the $600 weekly federal enhancement that would boost pay for many low and middle income public workers higher than their full-time wages, Sweeney has said. So that's actually a pretty good plan as well, because they're still receiving a small paycheck from their jobs, but also getting the uh, unemployment and the 600. And so they, like you said, they'll, a lot of them will probably be making more money. And I know that I've seen it online that angers people that in this like period of time, people are making slightly more money by some people <laughs> than others. But like, as I'll explain later, most of that's just being put into savings or paying for necessities anyway. So it's not, yeah. people aren't going out buying luxuries and stuff right now. Yeah. And it's one of those things of, um, there's like that old saying of look in your neighbor's bowl to make sure he has enough, not that you have just as much. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> Governor Murphy signed a bill recently to allow the sale in New Jersey and the delivery of mixed drinks and cocktails. So this is a very exciting development. <laughs> nice. I, I can order cocktails uh, to right here, like right now. Yeah, right now. We could do it. So... It just depends on if the restaurant that you're ordering from um, is participating. Can we do but, that for the next episode? Yeah. Can order them beforehand. <laughs> I can get a, a margarita, a very large margarita from um, El Toro down my street. Um, it's a nice Mexican I, spot. I don't know if there's going to be any places near me that will actually participate. In it. About <laughs> to find out. Yeah, but it's a it's a great move on Murphy's part because obviously the restaurant industry is struggling in New Jersey, places that have been able to implement delivery systems. And this is a thing that's across the country. I know um, some restaurants, you have to figure out, you know, are you going to use DoorDash? Or are you going to use, um, what are the other ones? Um, Uber Eats or all these different other platforms you could use or you keep it in house. How are you going to like package your food to make sure it stays fresh and good? Um, upon delivery, it's very, it's, if you're just a, not a bare bones restaurant, but if you don't specialize in deliveries, really hard to get that up and running, especially during this time. So to incentivize purchases, if you have a good place that like sells, uh, one of your favorite drinks, I know, um, <laughs> it's really silly, but cheesecake factory has this, um, called a, I think it's called bourbon and honey. But it's like this really delicious bourbon cocktail that I always get when I go there. And knowing that I could just order it and pick it up, it's a miracle. But it's it's a way for people, for restaurants to make more money. Because a lot of us, when we go to a restaurant, half the bill could be entirely just alcohol. Speaking from experience, it could just be all alcohol. Um, <laughs> and so this is a really good move. Um, so we signed the legislation on Friday. And this was last Friday. This article from NorthJersey.com from Katie Sobko, so I'm going to say, S-O-B-K-O, uh, <laughs> making it legal to sell and deliver mixed drinks during the state of emergency, which before, I guess, was not allowed because it's open containers of alcohol, technically, in the, in the car. So it'll be interesting to see how you prove that you're delivering the alcohol and not <laughs> partaking in it while you're driving if you get pulled over. Um, and also the smell of alcohol in your car will make cops suspicious. So um, uh -huh, that's a good point. All, all that stuff. I'm, I'm sure the bill like really breaks it out, but the bill is going to allow distilleries to sell cocktails and mixed drinks and cocktail kits for to go 
and it's also going to be effective immediately. So call your local businesses, see if they will deliver your favorite cocktail along with some food, keep them in business and get drunk while doing it. Like it's a win, win, win. (laughs) Yeah. But that closes up Murphy's Corner. That was a little, you know, a little gem in all this uh, disaster. Um, Yeah, I agree. So I'm really excited about that. So I want to talk about the New Jersey gym saga, part one and two. I mistakenly thought (laughs) that part one happened last week, but time means nothing in lockdown. So actually (laughs) it was this Monday. So it was after we filmed. All right. So this is a pretty wild story. I don't know if you saw this. Basically, a gym owner in Belmar decided that he was tired of the lockdown and made a big show of reopening his gym illegally. Dozens of people showed up and the cops showed up. The police (laughs) then give this speech, which was recorded online and everyone can watch it. And I recommend you do because it's it's amazing. They basically say every single person that goes into this gym and the gym owner himself are in violation of the governor's orders. And then they're like, with that said... Uh, have a good day. And they just walk away. What a hero. What a hero, right? (laughs) So the guy won a temporary victory for one day. But then the same police returned Tuesday and began making arrests of patrons and uh, uh, and other things like that. (laughs) I think Real Clear Politics had the best headline on this. It says, police make arrests at New Jersey gym, which they allowed to reopen yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so true. And Maybe it was like a, a hoax in that, like, he wanted people to go. And be, you know, really enthused that their gym's open. So the next day, there's a lot of people there and it's more rest and more tickets. That's possible. I'm thinking you, know? <laughs> I'm thinking you can't, as a police officer, violate your ultimate boss, who is the governor. Yeah. And some phone calls were made <laughs> and some threats of firing. And then they had to hurry out there and do so. I don't know that as a fact, but that's what I was hoping happened. I was like, are, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, you can't just, like, laws need to be enforced. You can't just choose which laws what are laws to follow and, and what's yeah. not, especially ones that are like actually important about like i want gyms i want to go back to my gym six yeah. like, i want gyms to be open but gyms are terrible they're uh and, and they're in pandemics we know this because south korea reopened them and they had to shut them again because they were new vectors of infections because yeah, let's be you, honest people how people are nasty all, at the air the gym. awful you're working out so you're <laughs> expelling more you're expelling more air from working out which is more coronavirus particles. Nobody wipes down anything. No one does. I want to say that again. No, I, I do, but nobody yeah. wipes down anything. There's, um, most of I that miss- spray that they give is just water too. They don't even give you like. Exactly. It's like watered yeah. down. And I yeah. miss my gym so much because right before COVID hit, and I remember I was doing a diet pet and I still am, it's forever. And there's this woman and it was right before lockdown. She was in the locker room and I was trying to drop weight. I like had to lose like three pounds before the next day. So I was in the sauna doing cycles of like a half hour. And this woman is like in the locker room and she was saying like, oh, I was like, I think I had the flu. I was so lightheaded. I couldn't get out of bed and I was throwing up. And it was awful. And I had this fever and a sore throat and I was coughing, but I'm better now. And I just remember sitting there like lightheaded as all hell and thinking, what if you, what if you had, cause they say it's like the flu. Like at the yeah, time I was like, they yeah. say it's exactly like the flu, but you like you're breathing. And cause she kept on talking about how like short of breath she was and all this stuff. I'm like, you probably had Corona. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you were you're at the gym now and you were at the gym before. And I remember that was alarm bells going off. Like, this isn't safe. This isn't safe. This isn't safe. But I have to make weight. So I went back into the sauna. <laughs> so so the story gets crazier, too. Um, oh, my God. So the health people showed up, uh, the health department, and they put a uh, uh, a notice of embargo on there. Basically demanding that um, the business, well, not demanding it, sorry, they, they shut the business down. So I know what embargo means. But it turns out that the owner, I'm not going to say his name, didn't know what that mean, meant. And he said there were signs placed on the storefront with no inspection of the building or anything. You don't need an inspection <laughs> if you're ordered your building to, close during a, uh, to, to be closed during a pandemic, man. And they did it overnight like cowards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And uh, we're opening up. What was up, he going uh, to do? What was he tomorrow- going to do? I think it's better. We're opening up tomorrow morning, no matter what. He said he doesn't know what the embargo means, and that state health department notice referred to a statute involving infectious disease. Yes, bro. The, they they're referring to guidelines about you know a pandemic, a pandemic. <laughs> which is a you know a disease which infects, which 
the adjective for infecting something is infectious. So I'm sure yeah, he's able to connect the dots. I just thought it was super funny because I ended up reading the uh, notice of embargo and the order and the governor specifically ordered this, uh, well, the department, through the Department of Health, ordered this gym to be closed. And it's pretty clear why it's being closed. Basically, they violated the order. They're going to spread and can we be clear, gyms and gym owners, they make a lot of money for people who are not going to the gym. You know what I mean? You That's pay basically a subscription. You're absolutely, <laughs> absolutely right. No, it's true. The people who uh, sign up in January and then stop by February, but then yeah. they're... Uh, quit their subscription. So if you were to do, you know, online workout classes or partner with an online, like an app for your, for your members, it was all these different things that you could be doing as a gym owner to keep people connected to your brand and your gym. And you could safely reopen when the governor says you can. Um, exactly. But Casey, that wouldn't be a publicity <laughs> stunt. Yeah. That so would. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Anyway, uh, a church uh, reopened illegally. What happened? So this is according to ABC News. Some New Jersey. The title is "Some New Jersey Churches to Reopen in Defiance of State Order." So it's an article by Walter Perez. So according to the article, several South Jersey pastors say they answer to a higher power, aka not Murphy, and want to reopen <laughs> their doors, even if Governor Phil Murphy has prohibited church services, which he has not. No, but, it's in-person church services. Yes. Let us be clear. My husband, he's a minister of music at a church, and they do online church services on the weekends. And I'm sure the father there also does, like, maybe because it's Catholic. It's a Catholic church. So they do daily masses. So what he's probably of, doing... What kind of church is this? I, I'm, I'm going to just guess and say it's Baptist. Some <laughs> kind of evangelical church. Cause... You would not be wrong. Um, yeah. So this, <laughs> this church, Pastor Charles Clark of Solid Rock Baptist Church in Berlin, said the United States Constitution gives him the right and the Bible gives him the mandate to invite parishioners back to the pews. It says Walmart is open, the pet store is open, the bicycle repair shop is open and all are considered essential, but the church has been closed. Not closed. That's not closed. So his attorney sent a letter to Murphy demanding the status of churches in the Garden State to be switched from non-essential to essential. And again, churches are not closed. It's just so bizarre. You know, but it's not They're safe. not able to abide by the guidelines because they won't, first of all. And secondly, <laughs> most churches don't have good ventilation. Like you're not- they don't have good ventilation. They don't have good yeah. sanitizing. Like, when was the last time you saw in a I've church? Never, I've never seen churches cleaned. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, not knocking on churches, but it's something we've no, never I'm seen. Not on churches. I've just never seen it. Uh, um, always old and dusty. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I just think it's not priority number one, like gyms. Yeah. They should move to online services uh, as they've had months to prepare and do. Exactly. And that's it. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, and your and that's personal exactly, religion doesn't override the health safety of everybody in the state. Yeah. Murphy said about this, and the article goes on to say that he has made it clear that until there's a vaccine or a treatment, mass gatherings, including church services, will remain likely restricted. Quote, inside, no ventilation, close contact. It's a hard nut to crack. We're just not there yet. So I'm on Murphy's side with this because if you are a church... You can still be open. You could still give your services daily, weekly, whatever it is. You can still, you know, lead your flock. But I, I think Murphy's been paying attention to what's happening in other countries, it seems like, because the stuff that he's reopening are things that like South Korea, China and others have have reopened at various stages and, and earlier stages of their recovery. And gyms and churches are the ones that are really good vectors of transmission of this disease because close, they're crowded, they usually uh, uh, they aren't cleaned well. Um, it's just the way it is. It's everywhere. And there you go. People will spread the disease. It's churches were really yeah. the original source of the outbreak, I believe, in South Korea. Or maybe if it wasn't the original source, it definitely was one of the contributor. huge contributors. I remember reading that. And uh, I already mentioned about the thing about the gym. So uh, I think he's yeah. doing the right decision in, in this part of waiting to reopen these until we're even better. We're only under, we're still getting a thousand infections a, a, a day. Yeah. Um, the, we, we don't need to, uh, that number can be, yeah, that number can be, that trend downwards can be reversed very easily. And I want to highlight a point that nobody, there's no medals in being the first to reopen. You know what I mean? 
Uh, based always off of like... how every business and, and church <laughs> and everything is acting, you would think that there are and even right? schools. Uh, exactly. It's acting. one of those things of put your people first. Put the health and safety of your people first. If you are concerned about religious beliefs and practices still standing throughout this pandemic, do it online. It's fine. Everything's okay. Everything can be okay if you let it. You're going to endanger more people by reopening. Yeah, God will understand. Um, (laughs) All right, let's move on. Let's have a quick discussion about this. New York State is not reopening beaches uh, this summer. Like they have any. (laughs) Yeah, they have any that everyone wants to go to. (laughs) Sorry, uh, New Jersey uh, pride speaking. (laughs) So what does this mean for New Jersey? Attractive Uh, nuisance. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great phrase. That's pretty much what NJ.com is worrying about. It's my favorite phrase. Um, uh, people are still allowed to, according to the article, are, are going to be allowed to walk on beaches in New York City, but there is no swimming. And de Blasio says the idea here is to put health and safety first. No one has to be reminded we are the epicenter of this crisis. And I don't know. I mean. All I'm saying is I think we're going to get a lot of New Yorkers coming down. Yeah. And a lot of people who are wealthy individuals in New York, they might have a, a beach house in New Jersey. And therefore, they can prove residency. And there's, you know. Look I at don't the know. Beach ta- tags. You know, a lot of them have those beach tag system. Yeah. Maybe they usually but, give out, say, like I don't know, three thousand for like a whole, no, whole beach. No, they don't. Like, they don't give out. Typically, don't give them out. You have to go to the like the beach bash place. Right, 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 right. Sorry, sorry, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah clear. Let's be clear on that. You have to pay money for them. We could say that that uh, you know they could keep at fifty percent capacity. So they can only give out like fifteen hundred if it was three thousand or whatever it is that they yeah. have. But it'd be that's going to become a new you know social media outrage of if you aren't able to be one of those people that get the badge, maybe they can do like badge colors where it's like on certain days, certain badge colors can be on the beach. I don't know. I'm not a beach mayor, um, but it's, I'm very interested to see how they're going to regulate and um, sanitize and social distance on the beach because we're already seeing people on boardwalks, not social distancing or wearing masks. Uh, yeah. And now there's going to be an influx of New Yorkers. Good luck. That's That sucks because... <laughs> uh, 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 it'll be hard to track those statistics. New Yorkers yeah. coming and saying, say, either spreading or getting the coronavirus and going back to their state uh, will like make it harder for both states to see if that's what's happening because they'll just be included yeah. in the statistics of their states. Yeah, and New York's um, numbers are, I think, like New Jersey, where we're they're kind of going down. That's my check. But the issue is you're not going to be able to contact trace every, what do we call them? Bennies. Sure. <laughs> you know, uh, you're not gonna be able to contact trace and people don't just go from, you know, New York city straight down the turnpike and hit the beach. They stop at all these different towns along the way and rest stops along the way. And it's going to be a massive opportunity to spread. And with people who show no symptoms, asymptomatic people, how like, it's, it's going to be a nightmare. Um, I agree. Yeah. Also, I just want to add, it's difficult to, as you're saying, not only just to contact trace, but it's, it's I mean, it's difficult because we don't have, we're not like, we don't have the capacity to do it. And also, um, while these things are, are, while the numbers are trending downward, I think people are confusing like what a peak is. Like you need to look at a graph, right? Because a thousand, <laughs> like the graph gives you an idea, but you got to look at it from zero. Like we used to have zero cases, right? We're still having a thousand cases a day, right? So w- w- the whole flattening the curve thing doesn't mean like you flatten the curve and then it's all good. All, all um, restrictions go out the window immediately because the curve's been flattened. It's it's yeah. the gradual reopening thing is important because you still need the in place these in place to keep the uh, pandemic at bay. No one believe it, it's it's a constant like fake argument that people make that are against uh, uh, any of these restrictions that people like us believe that this stuff has to go on forever and that will always be restricted or the because i see it constantly on social media people saying like oh what do you think that we're just gonna uh, never reopen the economy no dude i expect to <laughs> reopen the economy in in the summer at some point but it's people like you who don't obey by any of the rules that make it take longer for this to happen also yeah. an inadequate federal response as we've mentioned for like months now is another part of the reason why this is taking longer in, the, in our country than it needs to be that's and all we're saying. All we're saying is if we took also, it seriously in the first month, uh, we would be, by now be good. 76 yeah. days, how long it took it from Wuhan to reopen, yeah. uh, from Wuhan's closure to reopening. And it's another thing of 
people who have been abiding by the rules are still having to suffer <laughs> because other people are not following the rules. Like I've been in quarantine since I think basically the first week of March. Yeah, and like February for me because I was actually like legitimately sick in February and I think I had the coronavirus, but there's no way to know. <laughs> well, I, got it, I got it from New York. I got it from New York. Just saying. Ah, uh, boy, but it's just so bizarre. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. on. Bit of a funny story. All right, according to DailyVoice.com, a freeholder called Patterson's mayor a punk, slimy coward after a national TV interview. Oh, no. uh, I'm going to read from the article. Uh, Passaic County freeholder Theodore Best called Patterson Mayor Andre um, Sayag. Say, 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 sounds sounds uh, accurate. And Andre, Andre, Mayor Andre <laughs> called Mayor Andre a slimy coward and a punk in a Facebook post Thursday night following a nationally televised interview the mayor gave MSNBC about the city's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Also funny that Facebook posts apparently are newsworthy, but whatever. You know. Although initial projections were that 8,000 Patterson residents would contract COVID-19 by April 15th, the actual number on that date over a month ago was about 2,500, praising the work of city health officials and contact tracers. It could have been worse, he said. The interview segment uh, Chris Hayes had titled, How the Mayor of New Jersey City Built One of the Best contra Contact Tracing Systems in the U.S. <laughs> Best posted on his Facebook page, did he really just say Patterson only has 2,500 positive cases of COVID-19? Last time I checked, it was 6,000 confirmed with an estimated true number of 15,000 using most models. Best then personally attacked the mayor, calling him a self-serving, credit-seeking, slimy coward. That's funny. <laughs> say, uh, say uh, Andre is a punk who will do or say anything to serve himself. So they then do a fact check, and they said that, what, what I said, this is Patterson, right? Yeah, Patterson yeah. has 6,717 cases. Wow. So, the mayor, so, so uh, yeah, at first I started, I was like, yo, call, name calling your mayor. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not for or against it, but it seems kind of childish. And then I'm like, oh, wow, no, he actually misrepresented. All right, just the two numbers. possibilities here, right? He misrepresented to make himself look better, or he actually didn't know how many cases Patterson had. Or and maybe he was quoting, like, for this month. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he was. Too, but it's still uh, misleading. Yeah, it's still very misleading. Yeah. And That's again, possible. For him to be taking the credit instead of, you know, you know, the workers and the, you know, Saying the citizens. Like, yeah, people keeping, yeah. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to bring that up since we like to bring up all the trash talking that goes on in our state. So Yeah. And it's also yeah. one of those things of if if that other guy, the freeholder, did not uh, post about it and reject that claim. Because I, I bet some people in the comment section of the the video or the article could have been commenting on it saying it was wrong. But you need a person who has a platform to That's really call out right. that, you know, right. and the mayor would have gone down in history as, you know, this hero, whereas he is falsifying the numbers and trying to take credit and also going. He was on MSNBC. Like, come on. Is, yeah. <laughs> All right. The last bit of the headlines before we get to our segments. New Jersey is arbitrarily throwing out thousands of mail-in ballots, lawsuit says, according to an article on NJ.com by Blake Nelson. So I read this and I thought it was pretty interesting. In order to verify a ballot, election officials currently compare the signature on a ballot with the corresponding signature on the initial application, according to the state law. As we've mentioned here, we've been encouraging people to do mail-in ballots because they're, they're allowed both for the primary, I believe, and the uh, general election. And it's better to do and, it than in person and, during a pandemic. Yeah, and also Murphy signing executive order 144, we covered it to protect public health by mailing every registered voter a VBM ballot or application right. ahead of the primary election. So this is an initiative taken on by the government to provide the opportunity to vote in New Jersey during the pandemic. Exactly. And I think even before the pandemic hit, Murphy was kind of pushing for more mail-in ballot uh, uh, access anyway. Yeah, he signed into so, a, a bill into law earlier this year, making it easier to vote by mail. And Murphy has directed that most votes be mailed in for the state's July primary. So basically, because that you have to verify a signature on the original application, they're throwing out ballots. So according to the lawsuit, that requirement has led untrained staff, it puts untrained in quotes, a staff to <laughs> arbitrarily throw out thousands of votes without due process, according to a lawsuit filed Monday by a resident with Parkinson's disease who said his shaking hand has fundamentally altered how he signs his name. 
when you think about how much a signature can change over the years or how a disability can impact one's handwriting, it is clear that this is unacceptable, Ryan Haygood, the president of the New Jersey Institute for Social Justice, said in a statement. And uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be going to court all about this. And yeah, I don't know, I kind of agree. It, I, I, it's unacceptable to throw out these ballots over like, like, I'm just trying to think, go, whenever I sign like a receipt, if I had to do that and compare to like each receipt I've ever signed or or like even just regularly writing my handwriting, like sometimes it just yeah. looks different. And I would probably, yeah. my ballot would probably be thrown away because it probably looks different from when I would have signed the, uh, the application, even though it's, yeah, it, it's similar enough to qualify. Like, And also I would wonder yeah. where, like what ballots specifically were being thrown away. Was it from a certain area? Was it for a certain you know, candidate vote, you know what I mean? Like, that's a conspiracy theorist to me is, is it a certain age group that's being thrown out? Is it, you know what I mean? Like all these different things, all these different, you know? The only thing I see from here is problems with matching signatures led to a larger share of rejected ballots in Hudson County than in Union in 2016, according to the complaint. The state doesn't train election officials in signature and handwriting analysis, the lawsuit said, nor does it provide them with the written standards or guidelines to aid in this assessment. Voters can only find out if their vote wasn't counted after the election, the lawsuit said, when it's too late to change the decision. What? That's unacceptable. Wow. Yeah. So wow. get on that, New Jersey. Get on good it, job. New Jersey. Good job pursuing them. That's yeah. a... And that's the, it's one of the worst times to sue the state because we're, <laughs> we have no money. Yeah. So you would be thinking that the state employees and everyone would be working on their best behavior to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen. Ugh. All right. I'm going to talk about the New Jersey unemployment rate and New Jersey's, I'm just going to call it the unsatisfactory response <laughs> to unemployment <laughs> that we've had because it's very bad. The road so, back. Yes. First, I'm going to start with some statistics. The New Jersey uh, Department of Labor and Workforce Development every week, I, I used them before, puts out like a press release that sums up statistics. And we just got April's numbers and like they were revised, which means uh, basically updated to be more accurate. And it's pretty bad. The mandatory, I'm reading from the press release, the mandatory shutdown of business activities and stay-at-home orders to prevent the spread of the virus contributed to the total non-farm employment plummeting by 757,700 jobs in April, while the state's unemployment rate soared to 15.3%, according to estimates released by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. In April, employment decreases were recorded in all nine major private industry sectors. By order of magnitude, the largest decrease was recorded in the leisure and hospitality sector, 236,500 jobs lost, followed by trade, transportation, and utilities, 157,500 jobs lost, education and health services, 113,100 jobs lost, professional and business services, 90,100, and other services, 57,200. Construction at 43,800, manufacturing at 33,900, financial activities at 12,800, and information at 5,100. Over the month, public sector employment was lower by 7,600 jobs. So I wanted to give a little comparison to understand the magnitude of these figures, even though I feel like the number itself are so high, people probably get it. So, yeah, because it seems like every yeah. industry has been impacted. I, I looked to see if there one that wasn't, and there isn't. Every yeah. single industry recorded uh, uh, unemployment figures. Yeah, unemployment figures. Uh, none of them grew because some people were wondering if you know uh, certain uh, sectors of the economy were, would grow from this, say like. Uh, the warehouses and stuff like that, but they, they haven't. <laughs> so as of March 20th, New Jersey's official unemployment rate was 3.7%. A year ago in April 2019, it was 3.4%. So according to the latest statistics from the New Jersey Department of Labor, uh, as I said, the unemployment rate for this April is 15.3%. This is a record. I tried to go back even further, and the earliest statistics I could find from the Bureau of Labor Statistics are dated January 1976. So the previous highest unemployment rate in New Jersey was 10.7% in the winter of 1976 to early 1977. Uh, but I wasn't really sure if the method of calculating the unemployment rate here differed over time, because sometimes uh, new methods are developed, and I know with earlier numbers it can be different. So I, I decided to just compare it to the more re recent economic recessions. At the peak of the 2008-2009 financial crisis, the unemployment rate never reached 10% in New Jersey. It was like 9.8% for a couple quarters. So I already broke down jobs lost. Uh, what shocked me most is, is just the percentage of them, of like where they were concentrated. 
So service uh, providing jobs accounted for 99.2% of the jobs lost in April. Um, so you can see that like basically the service sector is getting hit by far the hardest, which is and the service sector. What do you yeah. mean by service sector? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I will, I'll go over that. So service providing jobs are uh, trade, transportation, and utilities, information, it's like computer services and things like that, financial activities, so you work for a firm, bank, uh, any of that kind of stuff, professional business services, uh, that counts things like law firms or other services that businesses use, uh, education and health services, so like things like being a teacher, like a private school teacher in this case, I'm looking at just the private numbers, um, or like you're like a health worker. Yeah, a leisure and hospitality. <laughs> that, that is things like uh, any kind of entertainment or um, hotel. And then there's just a catch-all uh, other services category, which is everything that doesn't fit into that. So yeah. basically every job you can possibly think of that isn't working on a farm, uh, or working in manufacturing yeah. has been hit uh, very hard. So I wanted to talk about what New Jersey response has been to this. And anyone who has been on the New Jersey unemployment, uh, or was it it's the New Jersey unemployed in New Jersey Facebook group, something like that, uh, will we'll see just how much frustration people have had. On the phones, uh, it's just a constant long wait, of frequent disconnects. Uh, some people are calling uh, literally hundreds of times a day and don't get through to anybody. There's very little communication to the public about what's happening, about when things are going to be uh, rolled out. People who have been waiting for uh, extensions uh, haven't heard anything but just wait for an email until this week when tomorrow, apparently, they're going to start processing claims. But when we uh, people still don't know if that means they'll be getting money soon or if they're just going to process claims. What little communication there has been to the public has often been confusing, contradictory, or uh, victim-blaming. So uh, the labor commissioner went on NJ 101.5 a couple days ago and basically said the reason why the phones are, and emails are, are so backlogged and why uh, there's so many problems because people are filling out the applications wrong, that's just not true. Some Obviously, some people are filling out applications uh, incorrectly, but a lot of it has to do with the volume and the poor systems and just how technologically backwards the NJ unemployment system is. Um, I'm, I mean, this in all seriousness, the NJ unemployment system uh, website is a complete disaster even after they have uh, updated it. It's basically, I, I'm not a huge tech person, so I don't know the, the full details, but from people who have explained it to me who are like in that field, is that it's written in an ancient language, uh, coding language, uh, uh, called COBOL, which is basically what the New Jersey, I mean, the uh, government used in like the 60s. And and it's like bad. It doesn't work as efficiently Archaic. as it could. And it's basically never been updated until now when they needed to because it was uh, <laughs> crashing so much. And even though then with it being updated, it's like basically putting a Band-Aid on like a bridge that's going to collapse. And yeah. even Murphy, uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, has uh, did this kind of victim blaming stuff. Um, March around, uh, sorry, around May 8th or earlier in May, he said that he had very dismissive remarks when a reporter asked him about labor, when labor commissioner was going to fix the backlog unemployment system. At the time, state officials announced that more than a million New Jersey residents have filed jobless claims, but that 300,000 claims still had to be processed. And Murphy said, Kevin is a good guy, a very good public servant. I consider him a friend, but Rob's not going anywhere. This is a 500-year flood. All I would say to anyone who thinks that go to another state. Rob's doing a good good job and he's not wow. going. Wow. And that is tone deaf as anything because yeah. I've reading reports all over that there are people who filed claims in March and haven't received any money. In March, there's people I've seen it every day who say that it's been six weeks, seven weeks, five weeks. They haven't received anything, anything. They, they keep getting told that their uh, claims are not payable at this time or uh, they don't get told anything at all. Uh, it, it's just unacceptable. So I want to also talk about because because we're now entering the phase of the recovery, we kind of also live in this bubble. I think people like associate the coronavirus pandemic with the economic collapse. So they think that once the lockdowns are lifted, then the economy returned to normal. And I can understand why people think that because the coronavirus pandemic is kind of the uh, catalyst for the economic collapse. But I wouldn't say it's, it's necessarily it's, it's complete cause. The root, cause, the root yeah. cause is just the complete structural change of the U.S. economy from 2008-9 onwards, which dates it from an even longer trend of basically 
financialization of the entire economy, uh, stagnation of growth, and just switching to a service-based economy over one that like produces uh, things. And there's no reason to expect that we're they call it a V-shaped recovery. Uh, that's when you know if you think of the first V uh, line in the V, it goes down and the V bounces back up. So they think people, some people I saw on Fox News were saying and CNBC that you know uh, we'll recover and like basically immediately as soon as all the states are opened up. Uh, there's no reason to think that at all. So I did some digging, and to my knowledge, no peacetime economy had in the entire world has ever within a few months reduced unemployment by 12%. Uh, the only semi-equivalent scenario I could find was looking at the Great Depression in World War II. In 1933, the unemployment rate was in the 20, uh, like 20s, 20%. After seven years of the New Deal, FDR managed to bring the unemployment rate down uh, to around 15% in 1940. Two years later, it was down to 5%. But that was only after, in 1941, the instituting of the draft, and by 1942, uh, the uh, military budget was tripled. So without state intervention of like this kind of magnitude, there, in my opinion, there's absolutely zero chance that there will be a, a recovery in a V-shaped manner. That is a quick one. And it's also the idea that you're providing employment by recruiting people to the military. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> you, you just took them out of the... And, it's, and in essence, they took them out of the workforce. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, of course, they're paid wages in the military, but like, that's not the same kind of work, right? So it's the same it, kind of work. All, you're all also... you did was eliminate unemployment by conscripting everybody and taking them out of the civilian workforce, which isn't really eliminating unemployment. It's transferring uh, the labor force into, like, militarizing the labor force, rather. That's yeah. And it's also you're signing your life away, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in this case, a lot of them too, because of. And it's and it's poor people. You know what I mean? It's people who are unemployed that can't collect a paycheck, that can't collect unemployment. Okay, yeah, at least at least like I'll have a paycheck in the military. Yeah. You know, it's not the wealthy like a people. <laughs> uh, response with the magnitude of a of a state draft when an economic mobilization. Like that's what we need. So I just want to, uh, a couple more things. The Financial Times also notes another interesting phenomenon. I read in an article. I'm just going to quote uh, from it. The article is called Penny Pinching Consumers Could Spell Trouble for Recovery by Gavin Davies. He writes, one thing that seems different this time is that much of the slump in U.S. consumer spending has been accompanied not by declining personal incomes, but by a surge in savings, which suggests consumers may remain cautious during the recovery. For the second quarter, J.P. Morgan forecasts that government support from the Unemployment and the CARES Act, including tax cuts, will restore much of the drop in personal disposable income, and Goldman Sachs estimates that 75% of the newly unemployed will receive more in government payments than they previously earned in wages. That, degrees of in that degree of income replacement would be an impressive step for U.S. public policy, as Paul Krugman argues. Despite this income support, consumer spending has collapsed, especially in service sectors and on discretionary goods such as autos. As a result, the savings ratio could well rise to above to, uh, to about 20% of household income. Two things here. I, I find it absolutely hilarious how, how economists are shocked that people aren't buying uh, cars uh, with their $1,200 uh, stimulus checks. Um, yeah. Is, I don't understand how people who like study this stuff for a living don't understand what it's like for us to live. Um, yeah. But as you can and see, they're because they're so far removed. Spending. Yeah. People aren't spending their money on luxuries and they're shocked that they're saving it to buy only uh, uh, food and pay rent. Yeah. Um, and also, it's, you're you're it's saving it because you're gonna need it long term. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, Goldman Sachs is absolutely impressed that uh, more people are, are are receiving more money in government wages than they previously earned in earned in wages, government payments than in previously earned in wages. Uh, that's because wages have stagnated for 50 years. So, <laughs> so like that's terrible. <laughs> like that's the point. So like, and it's I, also you're. Yeah. You're not spending money. So if you aren't spending any money and you're saving, you know, unemployment that is supposed to be, you know, your income until you find a job and there's no job. So you're basically saving money because you're not, you know, commuting, you're not getting like a lunch takeout, you're not doing all this extra stuff, you're not doing happy hour after work, you know, all this extra stuff that you would have to spend on, you're not doing. So you have more money in your pocket. It's not, you know, yeah. a JP Morgan issue. It's a, you know, who is the consumer? We've exactly. all been trained to spend everything, to con constantly shop and accumulate stuff. Like, <laughs> they want us to spend more, give us more money. That's literally yeah. <laughs> that obvious. So here's another part of the article. Uh, they said any withdrawal of the f fiscal stimulus at a time when precautionary savings remain high 
could continue to depress spending and prolong the recession. And then there was another article that uh, kind of dug into this point a little more. Uh, so this one's titled, U.S. Jobless Claims Keep Climbing to Hit 38.6 Million Since the Lockdowns Begin. It's by Mamta Badkar and uh, James Politi of, of the Financial Times. They write, uh, well, they're basically quoting a professor of finance at the University of Notre Dame. He says, quote, although it's too soon too soon to uh, know now, the concern is that unemployment will continue to be an issue even after we begin the recovery. If the federal and state governments are not aggressive enough in combating unemployment, we will see permanently higher levels of unemployment and a second jobless recovery. That's important to remember. We had a jobless recovery after 2008 and 9. The rate of replacement of uh, jobs uh, uh, was not high enough to match new workers coming of age, entering into the economy. Uh, it took, it took, I forget how many years it was. It was many, many, many years before uh, we basically recovered. I think it was like last year, technically from the 2008, nine uh, uh, collapse. I forget the, well, what arbitrary th uh, statistic they basically come up with for when that is. But uh, so overall, I just want to say like the economic outlook is not looking pretty good because people, uh, because we don't have that kind of response. We don't have the kind of World War II era civilian level response that we need to meet this moment. And the Republicans and Democrats are basically doing the exact opposite of what they, they should be doing. Uh, Democrats are kind of hindered by the Republicans in the Senate, but uh, Pelosi, I don't want to get into it, but she's not really pushing that hard either. What she say? Just wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so we're at a moment where the extension is going to run out in uh, July, I think. That's when the, I mean, the expanded benefits to 600. And there's no sign that we're going to get another injection of uh, money or expansion of benefits or any of that kind of stuff. And they're just, they're, the Republicans are, and Trump are really just betting on the economy having a V-shaped recovery. Uh, in the summer, and then everything's going to be good by election time. And it's, yeah, I just want to say it's madness. That's all it is. It's, it's absolutely, it, it's not going to happen. I, I will bet money on it. I'll bet my 1200 on it. It's not going to happen. <laughs> the Trump bucks. The Trump bucks, yeah. Well, that's a lot of doom and gloom. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I do. Oh, boy. Well, I'm ready to give you some more doom and gloom by covering New Jersey teachers and COVID-19. So... Mike, this week, because I, you gave me a little spoiler that your segment was going to be on unemployment in New Jersey, so I wanted to zoom in on a group that is estimated to be greatly impacted, which is the teachers and also, I guess, school administrators. So if you don't have access to a television or the internet, you probably haven't seen all the ads from the New Jersey Education Association and the NJEA is the largest teachers union in the state. And they are raising, you know, the red flags and ringing the alarm for the public to pay very, very close attention to the upcoming months. And um, the word on the street is that with the $10 billion dent in the budget that has, you know, it's COVID, that teachers and those in the education sector of the state are going to be targeted for extreme funding cuts. So I wanted to just really quickly talk about the NJEA and because I think a lot of people don't understand unions ever since I guess the industrial revolution we've been pushed to believe that unions were bad you know and it's not the case <laughs> yeah it's like who, who's doing that the the bosses and exactly and the, government that the bosses work for <laughs> Like I, I was a part of a union and it was great for me because they were arguing our contracts and this is basically what the NJE does. So according to their website, so what they do, so what you get as a teacher for your dues is you get contract negotiation enforcement, you get organizing training and membership development, you get different communications sent out to you. They keep track of, you know, legislation and government relationships and making sure that they're actively bidding for your your well-being. You know what I mean? It's a union is a very great thing. And like I said before, we've been trained to think that it's not because corporate overlords don't like it because then they have to argue with a bunch of people. And if the conversation goes south then the workforce walks out, you know, and pickets until they get their their contract approved. So the. NJEA is very concerned because for some reason, I don't, maybe you can shed light on it. I can't figure out why, but education is often an afterthought <laughs> in government. I, I don't understand. I think because people have a bad attitude towards teachers is they think like that 
they're, they're yeah, you're glorified right. babysitters, you know what I mean? And they have summers off, so they can't be working that hard when, you know, they are with your kids every day, teaching them, setting them up for success and their futures and a lot of teachers also, they're dealing, and I've seen a lot of articles about it because of mental health issues in the school system. They become, you know, therapists and guidance counselors and aren't paid for that <laughs> at all. And they're not trained for it typically to, you know, be an intervention, so to speak, for kids with mental health issues. But that's all besides the point. It's a weird tangent. Um, but I just wanted to in the beginning of this segment, really talk about all the things that teachers are and do and what the union does for them and let the listeners know that unions aren't bad, number one, and teachers are going to be greatly impacted. And it's on top of everything that they're already doing. Like right now, teachers are doing online classrooms and trying to put their their curriculum online. So that's professors, that's teachers, that's and every kind of teacher, whether it's pre-K, kindergarten, uh, primary, secondary, all teachers are greatly impacted right now by COVID. And according to a NewJersey.com article in on May 15th um, titled COVID-19, layoffs are coming for New Jersey teachers. How bad will it get by Adam Clark? Um, he writes, many districts have already told non-tenured educators they won't be offered a contract for the fall until schools know just how badly their finances will be hurt by COVID-19, said um, Richard Bossa, B-O-Z-Z-A, um, who is the executive director of the New Jersey Association of School Administrators. So Bossa, I'm going to say his name is pronounced that way, <laughs> went on to say, quote, I think any significant cuts are going to be severe for schools and roughly 80% of school district budgets are people costs. And he says, nobody wants to be a doomsdayer unless you're Mike Perino. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there is only so much you can do. So Boza also expects that districts will have a better idea around mid-June when they need to figure out if they're going to lay off teachers or staff, although there are many unanswered questions. So it's basically impossible to predict how the cuts will go. So it's not looking so good for schools based on a number of things, like a lot of schools were already struggling in the first place. I think last week we talked about some Catholic schools that were going to be closed in general, and the pandemic really kicked that into gear. So it's basically the perfect storm of disaster for the education system in New Jersey. So according yeah. to another article from NJ.com titled, Big School Cuts May Be Coming, Here's Where New Jersey School Districts Will Slash First by Kelly Haybower and Adam Clark again. So the article says, if the past budget cuts are any prediction, New Jersey's school districts will start by trimming extracurricular activities, clubs, school trips, sports, and any other non-academic areas. Then, if it still doesn't cover the budget gaps, they will start slashing jobs. So Marguerite Rosa... ROZA, Director of ed Edomonics, EDU-nomics. I, I couldn't tell you what that means. couldn't tell me either. <laughs> um, it's a lab at Georgetown University. Uh, she said in a report on the school funding crisis for the Brookings Institution, which is a nonprofit think tank, quote, initially districts typically start with belt tightening cuts such as hiring freezes, limiting travel, canceling vendor contracts, or adopting a quote, efficiency measures to save on utilities and the like. They then move to eliminate what the system knows it can live without, such as newly added programs or services. So the article also goes on to say that non-tenured teachers are typically the first to go, meaning seniority rules. And then teachers that are in year-to-year -year contracts have been already told that their contracts will not be renewed coming this fall. So what parents can expect to see <laughs> in the upcoming school year is a big change. So requests are going to come to parents to pay out of pocket for any kind of field trips or any kind of after school activities. So if you were banking on your kids receiving any kind of scholarship for band or a language art club or a sport, you're going to have to start considering that as a lost opportunity for your kids. And kids are going to be home immediately after school because there's going to be cuts to after school programs, presumably. So you're going to have to start looking into different kind of childcare options. You know what I mean? And school buildings, they're going to have to put off any major maintenance projects and work with a skeleton crew until this crisis is over. And this isn't even, this is a big concern. I think I've mentioned it before, but kids from low income or working class families, they 
relied on after school programs, not only for scholarship opportunities for their future, but also just after school care. So it's it's going to add to a potential increased class divide. Uh, you're going to have wealthy families who can do like the, the Pop Warner sports instead. So their kids can still get that activity, that physical activity, and also put that on their, their college applications. Whereas kids that can't afford that, they're going to lose that. And yeah, it's even, even worse now. Yeah. And, and it's another factor into it is New Jersey has already been facing an issue with just getting the staff. So getting teachers in the state. So we, we all know it. I didn't, I never expected this growing up, but I'm, I know a lot of teachers and the amount of education you have to go to school for all the certifications you have to get and the constant re-upping of your, whether you want to get a master's to like really secure your spot at a school you really like, or if you want to get your PhD, if you, even if you become a teacher, there's also all these state mandated requirements for, you know, your students testing. So then you start teaching all around a test. And, it's and, then, been... and then for the amount of money that you're paying for the master's, the, uh, everyone loves, I know a bunch of people do it, to say over and over again that teachers don't work during the summer, which is not true. They do work. Yeah. They just don't have classes. And also, um, they don't make that great money. Like, uh, no. for the amount of work that they have to do, like in New Jersey, 60 to 70 some thousand dollars, that's not great. I mean, yeah. That, and, to... and it's like basically that that's imagine like basically being capped at that for yeah. <laughs> for a while like exactly like I know it's and according all not about the education uh the money but still yeah come on. but it but it is about it because according yeah, to the is. teacher certification degrees for new jersey preschool teachers make around like 40k upwards to 60 and so similar to kindergarten teachers when you get to elementary school and special ed and middle school and secondary school that's when you start hitting the 70K range, but that's where it caps off. Like it's going to be rare unless you go into college, like a professor level, you're not going to, it's going to be capped at around 70, 80. Or if you go into private school, maybe it's more lucrative there. But another thing is that a lot of teachers, if they're in a school who's faced year over year budget cuts, a lot of teachers will go out of pocket to pay for school supplies. So so that's like almost never, it's almost never mentioned by people who like, the only thing they know about teachers is they allegedly don't work during the summer. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of teachers will do summer school or they'll do like they'll teach at various summer camps and all that kind of stuff. So or they'll have a like another job during the summer. Like I knew my one math teacher um, in high school, she was a math teacher during the school year. And then in the summer, she worked in a restaurant like I, I knew a few like that, too. It's yeah. It's just, it's insane that they're definitely not paid enough to deal with what they deal with, whether it's just behavioral issues or mental health issues that kids have, but you're also paying for your classroom. And some, some teachers don't even have their own classroom to call their own. So, and there's year over year rumors of budget cuts and layoffs in in the education field. And it's, it's so bizarre that these people are with our kids more often than not they're spending more time with the kids than their parents we also like have this contradictory notion where education we believe is the most like important thing but we also think uh, teachers are worthless and overall uh, (laughs) there's a terrible common saying that like those who cannot uh do teach which i absolutely hate because teaching is a skill (laughs) it it Um, is and the other thing that drives me nuts is uh we have like this it all links together. Like the people who like think that the teachers do nothing, don't value like teachers very well. They're like jealous of some of the benefits that their unions have won. And instead of arguing mm-hmm. or unionizing their own workplaces, they like lash out against anyone who's like marginally better than them. Or like, I like to call it the crab and bucket syndrome. You know, when you go to pull one crab out of it, or if one ba- crab tries to climb out of the bucket, the other ones will pull it back down. That's, <laughs> that's how these uh, people kind of talk about the, uh, the benefits the teachers have won. I've never heard that. <laughs> And it's just been like this forever. I was trying to find this quote by uh, Tocqueville. He was a uh, French guy who came to the United States in the early 1800s and wrote a book that's uh, pretty famous called Democracy in America. It's pretty good, but uh, I, I can't find it right now. There, he basically talks about how America is like very really doesn't place much value on education. Um, and like our conception of equality basically means that like someone else's ignorance is equal to like uh, uh, someone else's uh, uh, like expertise. And he goes on to talk about how like 
education in America just means getting a job because that's all of that. Like the only reason we study the science is like what applications does this have to making money, which I just thought was like, you know, some of it's just uh, some like French guy coming to you uh, who comes from like a kind of aristocratic family, but uh, he has like more democratic sympathies and he just, you know, he kind of has that background viewing things in the 1800s or whatever, the early yeah. 1800s. But it's still to me really interesting because like, oh, I feel like the trend's not that much different. Like people constantly just view the idea of education and knowledge as like completely worthless unless it can immediately make you uh, some money. And yeah. thus teachers who teach us uh, by extension um, aren't, aren't valued as much. I think that's the answer to your question earlier. Yeah, it definitely is. It's just, it's shocking because like we've talked about before, New Jersey has one of the best, quote unquote, one of the best public education systems. And it's not, it doesn't mean it's good, (laughs) you know, in the country, you know, and I, I wanted to raise and ring the alarm about this issue for our listeners because around mid June is when they're supposed to be officially telling teachers basically their future. At the, at the schools that they teach at. And if you have kids or if you don't have kids, you want a public that is educated, period. Because that's how we get some obscene laws passed because no one's educated enough to understand what what is wrong. And the better educated your public is, the better your society is going to be. I value education because it is what has helped me get out of, I don't want to say it was in poverty, but I came from a poor background and getting an education, pushing myself through high school to take AP classes and then going to college and paying everything out of pocket at Rutgers, which is not cheap and getting a, a good job. And I met my, my husband at school. So it's all these things that have afforded me a life that I would have never imagined all came from being educated. And it's the only way I could have achieved it. You know what I mean? So when you take away a person's ability to be educated, you're taking away a future for them. And it comes hand in hand. And the pandemic should not equal more people going into poverty, staying in poverty, and continuing a cycle of poverty. (sighs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. Plus, uh, just to add, I think people... I think education can actually make people better human beings. Yeah. That's what like philosophers have long believed, and I and I and I agree with them. We can teach people to think more critically, not necessarily what to think. And I'm not saying that's what our current education system does at all, but to uh, it could not one like day. how it could. <laughs> it, it it really could, it really could, and it does for some people. Like rich rich go to really good schools that teach them things uh, differently and and stuff like that. So like there's no reason why we can't extend. How to communicate differently and how to yeah. That was always a thing I admired is when someone disagrees with me and they're able to calmly tell me the reasons why they disagree with me versus just saying you're stupid. Like that's how it was raised was like, if I had a different opinion. I, I, I had a lot of, <laughs> but if I had a different opinion, I'd be told I'm stupid. I'm making trouble. That's, and a number that's of how you words, from you know, <laughs> arguing with people on the internet. I just, just troll. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, but that's it. That's it for my segment. I wanted to raise this issue up, say pay your teachers, respect your teachers, New Jersey, and don't cut education. It's vital. It's vital to the very operation of our state. So well, that's it. <laughs> that's it for this week. Uh, we end. We started on a slightly humorous note and ended on another doomer. Uh, a double doomer. <laughs> a double doomer, yeah. But overall, optimistic for the future. I don't know why. Not going to question it. So keep that vibe going. Yeah. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. Um, Be sure to rate us on iTunes so that we can beat the NJ 101.5 people. It's imperative that we do so. It's probably the most important thing going on (laughs) right now is is our feud with NJ 101.5. It's very much one sided. Yeah. Uh, And if you have anything, any hot tips of things that 101.5 has said or done that you disagree with, send them to us. Yes, we'll also- <laughs> yes, I love it. Yes, I'm going to put out a call on Twitter. Speaking of our Twitter, if you don't know we have a Twitter, check out our Twitter. It's uh, we have one. Uh, jer- at Jersey underscore matters. Also check out our Instagram, Jersey Matters Podcast, and our great website, jerseymatterspodcast.com. Yeah, check them all out. Great. Right. I'm signing off. It's Mike. And this is Casey. Bye.